Good morning. If you would stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is coming from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It reads, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive, to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is precious. There's so much in here that is of much value. That is an understatement. All of it is of great value. Is the very thing that carries us on. Everything in here pertains to life and, and godliness. Father, I ask that your word would be preached this morning. Lord, that your people would be encouraged. Lord, encourage your people. In every way, Lord, that your spirit might fill all who are in here. Lord, those who do not know you, that they may receive the spirit of promise, that they may be saved. Lord, let your name be glorified this morning. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. We're in our fourth message in, in Titus 2 in this, in this series. I read verses 1 through 10 as I've been doing each time, but the focus this morning is on verses 6 through 8, and that is the charge to the younger men. We've heard what God has had to say to the older men, to the older women, and to the younger women, and now today to the young men. And as we talked about before, the older men were those about around the age of 60 or older than the younger men would be, in general, those under that age. So it's a, it's, it's a vast chasm, if you will. But since Titus is a, is a young man, he's able to speak to the young men in a, in a unique way, not only as one who can teach them, but one who is an example as well. 
And as a young man myself, I, I'm, I feel privileged to address the godly young men in this church this morning. Many of you who edify me on a continual basis, and it is my prayer that I'm able to edify you as well. But younger men, I believe Satan, I just don't believe it. I believe that the word would back me up on this, but Satan wants to cut the church off from the head. If men are to lead in the church and in the home, and if younger men are, are the future, or at least part of the future, then best believe that Satan is coming after you relentlessly. Ultimately, ultimately, if you're in Christ, he's going to fail, but his desire is to destroy you and is to bring reproach to the name of Christ and to his gospel. So how are we to combat this? What does Paul have to say to Titus and then coming down to us? How are we to live in such a way that Christ is honored in our lives and do so before an unbelieving world? How has God called us as young men to live within the church? Paul provides this answer to Titus. And he calls him to both exhort the younger men and then live as an example before them, modeling, us for to, modeling for us today the pattern we should follow as well. And as a result of that, put it to an open shame those who are enemies of the gospel. And we put them to shame by the way that we live. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to look at the charge. And that is the charge given to younger men. Then the example, that is the example of Titus, followed by the purpose. The purpose of this charge, the purpose of why Titus is to be an example. So jumping into the text, first we have the charge. Paul opens this call to younger men saying likewise, likewise. So in a similar way or in a similar manner to the younger women, to the older women, to the older men, you are to be self-controlled. You are to be self-controlled. It's interesting that Paul has called each group within the church to exemplify this fruit of the spirit. So we see the necessity of it. In verse 2, he told the older men, you are to be self-controlled. And in verse 5, he calls the younger women to be self-controlled. He does not say it directly to the older women, but he tells them to teach it. Therefore, they should have it. But when he gets to the younger men, at least directly, because, Paul, because Titus' example is also for the younger men as well, but to be self-controlled is the only direct charge that Paul gives to the young men or, his, or that Titus is to give to the young men or the younger men. And this tells me that this is something that particularly, particularly affects us as a group, young men, that is. But if we, as we have learned in previous sermons, self-control it means to be of a sound or a healthy mind, a sound or a healthy mind. And we know that once the mind is under control, once the mind is under control, the body is going to follow. 
That is why it's so important to be careful about what we fill our minds with, what we think about, what we watch, what we spend our time doing. Brothers, and really all of us, the mind is the first line of the fence against sin or the battle against sin. It's the first line of the fence. Yes, we, we've been given a new mind that has a new appetite. We've been changed. The spirit of the living God has, has come to rest on the inside of us. We are new creatures and we should act as such. We should be who we are. But we'll be ignorant to think that the old man is still not lurking. That the filth of the old flesh is still not there. That it needs to be put off day by day to kill it. Putting off the deeds of the body. In short, we are to put on the mind of Christ. If we are going to have a healthy mind, in simple terms, that's what it means. It means to put on the mind of Christ. Romans 12 and 2 states it clearly. Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world. Do not be molded or, or shaped into it. But what? What? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of of your mind. So as we're going through this this morning, I want us to, to think about a few things. And one thing I want us to think about, younger men, is where are we lacking self-control? Where do we lack self-control? And it could be in a, in, a, in a number of areas. Is it an outburst of anger? Do some of us have trouble controlling our tempers? Is it a lack of self-control and, and time management? Or in other words, do, do we struggle with, with laziness? That, that's a natural inclination, I think. Not just for young men, but for all of us is to be lazy. And we have to fight against that. Do you struggle with lack, control, lack of control? And, and, and is it gluttony? Is it control of the tongue and harsh language? Is it your thoughts? If you're married, is it a lack of patience with your wife or, or your children? Is it sexual immorality? Is it lust? Or is it a host of other things I could have mentioned? So I want us to be thinking about where do I lack self-control and then how do I master it? How do I practice self-mastery? I think we've partly already answered the question. Usually the Bible is very simple. It's not always easy to execute, but it is simple. It is to put on the mind of Christ. But I don't want to just sit down. I don't want to sit down just yet, so I should keep going. But some might be saying, okay, I understand I'm supposed to renew my mind. I need to get in the word of God. I need to be filling myself daily. I need to do that. But once I get in the word of God, once I once I begin to to study the scriptures. When it comes to self-control, what kind of things should I be looking for that are practically going to help me in this area? And I could give a list of things, but as I was going through the text this week and, and studying, there were two principles that I think are essential. That will help us. But before I get to those principles, before I get to those two right quick, I do want to address any 
unbelievers, particularly unbelieving men. But of course, this applies to everybody. And I'm doing this because I want to address the unbeliever, because if you don't have this, then nothing else I'm going to say in this text matters to you. If you are not born again, that's what the scriptures say. It says you must be born again. But if you are not born again, again, none of this matters. If you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ for salvation, your mind is not capable of being renewed. And you're not capable of practicing self-control as a lifestyle because you are darkened in your mind. You're darkened in your mind. Listen to what the word of God has to say about the unbeliever. And if you're not saved, I, I want you to hear this closely. These are scathing words. But they're here so they may bring you to repentance. Ephesians 4.18. If you're an unbeliever, this describes you. It says they are darkened in their understanding. Darkened under, in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, what? Due to their hardness of heart. Due to their hardness of heart because of the fall, because our, our, our faculties have, have, been, have been marred, if you will. The mind is not what it should be because of, because of sin that has entered into the world. Now, for those of us who are saved, thankfully, we have a new mind, as as I've said, but we have nothing to boast about because if we're not for Christ, we will be in this same situation. In fact, this was us before coming to Christ. As such were some of you, as Paul states in another text in 1 Corinthians. But getting back to the unbeliever, it says also in in 2 Corinthians 4.4, says that your mind has been blinded by Satan. Your mind has been blinded by Satan that you cannot see the light of the gospel. And Ephesians 2 describes you as one who carries out the passes of your flesh, the deeds of the body, and that of the mind. So if you are going to practice self-control, the Spirit of God must first do a work in you must first do a work in you and you must respond in repentance and faith. So that is my plea to you this morning. Whether you're in here, this, whether you're in here physically or you're watching online, my plea is that you would repent. Harden not your heart this morning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save you. He is kind to save. He is mighty to save. His love and mercy, they, they, they know no bounds. There's no love like it. There is no love like it. But now let's look at these two principles to the believer. The first, again, I'm sure I could have come up with with others. But the first one I came up with was to guard your eyes. To guard your eyes. Matthew 6, 22 and 23 It reads, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, this is the key. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great, how great is the darkness. So we can see right there how important it is, how important it is to be careful what we let go into our through our eyes, what we see, what we look at. We have to be mindful what we watch, what we meditate on. That's why Job said he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes because he knew that what goes through the eyes seeps into the mind, then plants itself into the heart and it's going to manifest itself through the body. That is how it works. It doesn't just stay there. You see it. And then before you know it, it is rooted in your heart. The things that you meditate on, the things that you the things that you decide to focus on. Which brings us to the second principle, and they are interconnected. But the next one is to discipline your body, to discipline your body. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, we find that Paul disciplined himself. It says he disciplined his body as to keep it under control. One verse that says, he says, I beat my body under subjection. Brothers, we need to discipline ourselves, discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Practicing self-mastery. Obviously, this discipline powered by the spirit. We can't do it on our own. Always want to mention that because we don't want to get this idea that we can just will ourselves to do things. We can't. That only lasts for so long. But we need to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And this is first coming to myself. I've been convicted by this text this week. But we need to discipline ourselves in prayer. If we're going to win the battle with the mind, we better be in prayer. If we're going to be living self-controlled lives, spirit-controlled lives. These things aren't easy. They're not easy. It's a It's a battle. In the, in the men's Bible study the other week, we were talking about how the, the battle with, with prayer and why it's so difficult at times to pray and how Satan is constantly, constantly attacking in this area. It's a spiritual battle. It's a war. That's why we're just put on the spiritual armor day by day, putting on the helmet of salvation the word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But we need to discipline ourselves in prayer. In the meditation of scripture. In the gathering with the body of Christ, like we do week in and week out, sharpening one another. For, for men particularly, that might be discipleship. One-on-one, it might be coming to our, our Saturday men's Bible study or other things that you that you do in one in the community group we have we have prayer partners we pray with one another and and keep up with one another which it which is very helpful but we need to be disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness and what is it motivated by it's all motivated it's all motivated by the mercies of God That is how you do these things. That is how you offer your body as a living sacrifice. That's how you offer your mind. 
That's how you give yourself to him. That's how you have self-control. That's how you're spirit-controlled. As we talked about when we, when we looked at the older men, really, to be self-controlled is to be spirit-controlled. No longer desiring the passions of the flesh, but the things of God. Walking in the spirit. But as you do these things, as you do these things, you're going to grow in sanctification. You're going to grow in holiness. And some are going to grow faster than others. It's like that. So don't be comparing yourselves to other people. Let others motivate you. Let them encourage you. Let others who, who are walking with the Lord cause you to cause a spur you on. But then don't get encouraged because you're not moving as fast as as they are. The Spirit of God works differently in each of us, and sometimes it takes a little more time, but you will grow. You will grow in self-control. You will grow in self-discipline. You will grow more like Christ. But after Paul tells Titus that he is to exhort the younger men, that he is to come alongside of them, teaching these these things constantly so that so we should also look at that and we should be coming alongside one another consistently. But after he tells Titus these things that he is to exhort them in this way, he then turns his attention to Titus himself, who was also, as we noted, a young man. And he says to Titus, Titus, your exhortation is going to have no impact if you do not live as an example that they can follow, you're going to be nothing more than a hypocrite. Basically, he's telling them, live according to sound doctrine. Live according to sound doctrine. You've been telling everybody else how to live, but if you're not living this way, it will have no effect. So in verse 7, it says, show yourself. Show yourself in all respects. In every way, to be a model of good works, to be a model of good works. We see that this is a complete contradiction to the false teachers that we read about in chapter one, verse 16. We read about that when I when we did the the first verse in chapter two, but that was a while ago. But it says verse 16 of chapter one. They profess to know God. They profess to know him. But what? They deny him by their works. They deny him by their works. They say they know God, but their hearts are far from them. When you look at their lives, they look nothing like the Lord Jesus Christ, nor are they desiring to be anything like the Lord Jesus Christ. They're empty talkers, deceivers insubordinate, and many other things. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit. Unfit for any good work. They're not even capable of it. That's what I was saying earlier. The unbeliever is not capable. Well, let me, let me back up because people are capable of, of doing good works. But these false teachers, they, they were at a point, they were unfit for any good work, at least as pleasing unto the Lord. Good works that would please God. Their works were as filthy rags. I think that's a better way to put it. 
But Paul, I mean, but Titus was to be a complete contradiction to them. A complete contradiction. They did not live according to sound doctrine because they had no sound doctrine to live according to. But Titus did. Titus did. Titus was sound in doctrine. That's why in verse 1, Paul called him to teach what accords with it. Teach the behaviors that align with what he believes. And now in verse 7, Titus is told if he's going to teach them, he better live it. He better live it. He is to be a model of good works. He is to be a model of good works. This word model or example has the idea that he is to be almost a perfect imprint. A perfect imprint or a copy of what he wants others to be. He is to be a copier of good works. That is is to be imprinted on his life. And he's supposed to model this especially to the younger men, especially to the younger men. Paul gives a similar exhortation to, to Timothy, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers, what? An example. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in faith, in love, in purity. And Titus is to do the same thing. But how is Titus to be a model of good works? How is he to do this? He's to do it through following the pattern of the perfect model, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's to seek to love as he loved. To serve as he served. To model his patience, his his kindness, his way of life. And, of course, he'll never reach the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us will. But day by day, he is to be be desiring that, seeking to be sanctified, becoming more like him. And as we model, as we model this, as we look at Titus and we model the Lord Jesus Christ as he was called to, then we will be one that others can model. So let this, let this encourage us, brothers. Let, let this encourage us to study to like the life of Christ and the scriptures, to study those who followed Christ. Many of the men in the, in the Old Testament who were used by God, so many. You have Daniel, a man of faith, Joseph, David, Noah. Well, Noah was old, but you get the idea. But you have so many. Uh, just a host of, of men. And of course, women of the faith as well. To follow and pattern our lives after. So get in the scriptures, study them. Study the life of Christ. Study how God used them in so many ways. And look at their failures. Look at their failures. And then that lets you know that nothing good that they did was of their own. It was only the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's why Titus is to model after him. That's why Paul said, Paul said what? Follow me as I follow who? Follow Christ. Because Paul knew that if they were following him and he was not in step with what Christ was doing, then they should not be following him. So following him, he said to follow him as he follows Christ. So study Christ. Study men of the faith and study those who you are among who are godly and then emulate them. 
emulate them. But Titus is not only to be an example by how he lives, but how he teaches as well. But how he teaches as well. Continuing to verse 7 and into verse 8, it says, And in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. That cannot be condemned. So first, Titus was to show in integrity in his teaching. He was to show integrity in his teaching. This word integrity means without corruption. It's not necessarily saying that it sound that his doctrine was not to be corrupt, though it wasn't. But we've already dealt with that. He's supposed to have sound doctrine. Now he needs to live according to it. But what it's saying is, is that how he is to teach is to be with integrity, the way he does it, his motives. His motives are to be pure. He's not to seek any, any gain, whether it be financial or otherwise. He's not to water down the message. He's not to, to be a pleaser of men. He's not to seek any, any praise for himself, but he's to preach to and for the glory of God. His teaching and his life must be marked by integrity. It must be marked by integrity. And unfortunately, there's many who do not have integrity. I was not sure if I was going to mention this this morning. But it came to my mind mind, since Titus obviously was a leader in the church, a, a, a pastor. And then, but... If anybody, some of us have been following the the president of the Southern Baptist Convention who has lacked integrity in his teaching and in his life. I don't say that to, to bring anybody down. I'm just using it as an example of what we're not supposed to be. As he has been copying and plagiarizing the sermons of, of, other, of other men. That is not integrity. That is not integrity. And it's also not dignified, which Paul tells Titus he must also be. He must be dignified. He's supposed to take the message serious. And I say he and I said that the president is not dignified because obviously you don't take the message serious if you're not willing to do the work of a minister and preach your own sermons to get in the word of God and rightly divide the word of truth so that you may give to your people what they need. So so Titus is to, both in his life and teaching, be dignified. He's to have a seriousness about him because the seriousness and magnitude of the message that he carries. He's carrying the word of the living God. It's not something that you treat lightly. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of the Holy One, the one who has created all things. The one who holds the, 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 the world by the palm of his hands. He spoke things into existence by the very word of his power. He has to, to be worshipped. He has to be reverenced. His word is to be taken serious. And those who preach it, those who teach from it, They need to do it with dignity and they need to do it with respect. And that is what Titus is supposed to do here. So he's supposed to have integrity. He's supposed to have dignity. And then thirdly, he's to have sound speech. 
He's to have sound speech. This is speech that is healthy and wholesome. It's speech that builds up rather than, rather than tears down. It's Ephesians 4.29 where it says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The word unwholesome, it means rotten. It means useless, corrupt, depraved. But he continues, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Why? That it may give grace, that it may give grace to those who hear. And Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech be always with grace, be always with grace and then season with salt. So that why? You will know how to answer every man. You know how to answer every man. This is the type of this is the type of speech that cannot be condemned. He says sound speech that cannot be condemned. This is how Titus is to live as an example. Again, especially for the before the young men who were to model him. And obviously, when we read this text, we see that Titus is a pastor. We know that all of us are not going to be pastors. All of us are not going to be are going to be missionaries. But it does apply to you. This exhortation applies directly to you as well, because whatever profession, whatever context we're in, doesn't matter. We're to be doing these things. We're to be we're to be proclaiming the word of God. We're to be showing ourselves as a doer of good works. We're to show integrity in how we live and what we teach. We're to show dignity. And whatever span of life that we're in, whatever context we're in, we're to live according to sound doctrine. So don't read this and say, oh, well, Titus is a pastor. This does not apply to me. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You disciple others, or at least you're called to disciple others. You teach your children. If you're a husband, you're washing your wife in the water of the word. So you do teach. You're supposed to do it with dignity and integrity. And of course, we're all supposed to do good works powered by the one who is good that lives inside of us. But what is the purpose of all this? What is the purpose? The end of verse eight. So that an opponent, this refers to anyone and everyone who opposes the message of the gospel, but that so the, the opponent or an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us, having nothing evil to say about us. So this is why we're to live according to sound doctrine. This is why we're to live self-control. This is why we're to perform good works. This is why we're to have integrity and dignity. We are witnesses. We are witnesses to an unbelieving world. Brothers and sisters as well. Opponents are not going to like the gospel message. The gospel message is is offensive. It is by its very nature. But we don't have to be offensive. Let the gospel be the stumbling block. Let the message be the stumbling block. Let that be the offense when people are are faced with their sin before a holy God. And see how righteous he is and that they need to change. 
and come to him. Let that be the stumbling block, not you. Don't give anyone a legit reason to say anything about you or the message that you preach. Because if we don't have integrity, if we don't have dignity, if we don't have sound speech, we will be condemned. The opponents will put us to shame and they will have something evil to say about us. And I want to bring attention to the word us in verse eight. Paul includes himself in this. Now, Paul is not in Crete. Paul's not in Crete, but he includes himself because he knows that what one believer does, what Titus does, what the Cretan believers are going to do is going to affect him as well. It's going to affect all Christians. What we do as an individual, individual Christian impacts all Christians. Not just representing yourself, but you're representing everyone who proclaims the name of Christ. And most importantly, by far, you're representing Christ himself. Representing Christ himself. But in closing, younger men, be encouraged. Be encouraged. It's not easy, especially the context that we live in. We live in what many call now a post-Christian world. But live out this life with boldness. Live it out in the fullness of the spirit. Live it out with absolute dependence on God and not yourself. And as a younger man, you might think that you can't affect change or that you will be disregarded for, for your youth. As, as Timothy thought and as, as Titus thought. But in verse 15 of chapter 2, be encouraged by this, he says, he tells Titus, he says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, with all authority and let no one disregard you. And why? And why? Because it's not an authority of their own or of your own. It's the authority of Christ and all authority has been given to him on heaven in heaven and on earth. But let's seek. Let's seek to live lives that are self-controlled. Lives that are marked with good works. And making it clear that it's because of the one who is working in us. Lives that are filled with integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that your opponents may be shamed into repentance before the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, every time any minister gets up to speak before your people, we're going to fail. We can't do your word justice. It's too awesome. It's too wonderful. But Lord, I, I hope you use this, this weak vessel this morning to say something that is helpful. And Lord, I, I believe so, because your word, it never turns void. Father, I ask that you will bless your people this morning. Lord, that you will continue to comfort us in, in every way. Building us up. Looking to the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
our blessed hope. Let that cause us to live self-controlled lives that are honoring and glorifying to you. Father, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus.